0: The scripture reading this morning is from Daniel, chapter 7, verses 1 through 14. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions as his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothes, w- clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then, because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to the burning with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged. For a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all people, nations, with languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed this is the word of the lord
1: let's pray father i thank you for your word and now we pray that in the next little while your spirit would minister among us that he would revealing to our hearts what we need to hear from your word as I seek to expound it Lord give me your spirit empower your word for your glory that we may together this morning see Jesus Christ the son of man reigning on his glorious throne help us to see that and and press into that great reality right now we pray in Jesus name Amen Well, um, the end of the world, the end of the world is a pretty popular subject. Um, In fact, you know, there's sort of been over the last few years a steady diet uh, fed to us in books and in movies on this theme, Uh, you know, whether it's uh, an alien invasion or uh, some sort of pandemic virus that wipes out humanity or or maybe it 's a great meteor that slams into the earth and there 's a big extinction event, or maybe it 's the rise of uh, sinister technology, or the big thing today is a, a grand environmental disaster, everything freezes or everything overheats, or something like that it 's a big it 's a big Theme—it's—they're making a lot of money every summer and every Christmas, uh, the big blockbuster comes out, and it's—it's it's a popular subject that people are interested in. But I would suggest to you this morning that um, that we better not take our cues from Hollywood when it comes to how we think about the the future and particularly the end of the age. How's it all going to play out? I don't think we should take our cue from Hollywood. In fact, I think we would be much better served if we turn to God's Word. If we turn to God's Word, I think we'd, we'd have a much better idea of how human history is moving toward the final finish line. Now, this morning in the passage that was just read for us and the rest of the chapter that we're going to look at, uh, Daniel 7 gives us um, some insight into how things are going to play out and ultimately how they end. Daniel 7, someone said, is is the most important chapter in the book of Daniel. And I think in comparison, if you've been with us in previous weeks, you'll notice that the reading that we just had is very different from what we have heard before. Before, the, the first six chapters were you know, very easy to understand, sort of straightforward narrative, and now there's beasts everywhere. Um, this is what's called apocalyptic literature, and the latter half of Daniel and the book of Revelation, parts of Ezekiel and so forth, uh, feature this kind of literature. And uh Although it's strange to us, there's something that it can teach us that just straightforward narrative can't. I think one of the things that apocalyptic literature does is, is it tells us what, for example, what the rest of the book of Daniel has already told us, but it tells it in a new way. Apocalyptic literature tells something to us in a new way that's, that's meant to awaken our imagination. It's meant to stir up our thinking and look at it from a different angle. Consider it from a different perspective. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at Daniel 7. What I want to highlight are three points. First of all, we we want to look at the beasts. Secondly, I want to consider with you the verdict. And finally, we're going to look at the kingdom. So those are my three points this morning. Let me give them to you again. We're going to look at the beasts the verdict, and the kingdom. Let's start with the beasts. Um, Daniel 7 begins actually with a date stamp. I don't know if you noticed that, but in verse 1 it says, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. So actually, if you were with us last week, we've just jumped back. We've gone back to about 12 or 13 years before the things that we considered last week. That's That's the historical marker. That's the date stamp where chapter 7 begins. And here in chapter 7, in a a different way from the earlier part of Daniel, instead of Daniel being the one who interprets the dreams of others, here in chapter 7, Daniel himself has a dream. This is what we read in verses 2 through 8. Daniel declared, I saw In my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion, and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth, and it devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Now this is very different language from what we've heard before in the book of Daniel, but, but here's a connection we need to make. This dream here that Daniel has is actually very similar to the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had back in chapter 2. If you were with us there, you'll remember that Nebuchadnezzar had this dream of this great image. And and the top of the image, the head of the image was gold, and then there was silver, and then there were bronze. uh, Then there was bronze, and what's the last one? It's uh, mixed with clay. It was iron mixed with clay. There's, and, and we learned there that the four kind of composites of the image represented, in chapter 2, four kings or four kingdoms. And that's what we see also here. In the dream of Daniel 7, verse 17 tells us that the four beasts, the four great beasts, represent four kings or four kingdoms. And what Daniel wants to do is he wants us to connect something between chapter 2 and chapter 7. He wants us to realize that this dream is like the one that Nebuchadnezzar had back in chapter 2. But unlike Nebuchadnezzar's dream, this one's a little different in that it's darker. It's it's a little bit more sinister. There's There are some destructive and some disturbing elements to Daniel's dream. For example, the fact that these beasts come out of the sea, that's very important. These beasts come out of the sea because in the ancient world, the sea represented chaos. Chaos. There's no order there, it's just chaos, and there's there's this unrestrained evil and chaos that comes out of the sea. So, like the beasts, the sea would have been understood to be a a threat to human life and, and to peace. And so these beasts arise out of the sea. They're sinister, they're destructive. And Daniel describes these three beasts, and he he uses some imagery that we can begin to imagine. He says the first beast is like a lion. He says the second beast is like a bear. The third beast is like a leopard. All of these are powerful predators. These are not pets. Except for that guy in Africa that plays with lions. I just love those YouTube videos. Go check him out if you haven't seen it. It's amazing. This guy plays with lions. But for the most part, we're not used to playing with lions and bears and, oh my. If you're a little older, you got that one. Um, These are not pets. These are predators. These are killers. These are not tame animals. These are wild animals. And we see something in this, I think, that we even see today. Um, we see animals symbolizing uh, empires or, 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 you know, political powers. Now, all of us, I'm sure, you know, are familiar with the idea that the bald eagle represents the United States, or um, you know, the the great lion represents the United Kingdom, or how the bear represents Russia. We see something of this today. Or, however, the the great beaver represents Canada. Yeah. Vicious things. So Daniel uses these images that we can begin to relate to. We can begin to visualize what he's talking about. But then things get a little weird. Things get a little strange. These animals are not entirely like what we can visualize because some of them have wings. Some of them have wings, and, and the leopard has not only wings, but it has four heads. So things get very strange pretty quickly when you're reading apocalyptic literature. And then something that the text tells us is that there's something given to each of these creatures. These creatures that come out of the sea, these creatures that seem so menacing and threatening and dangerous. We read that the first creature, the lion, is given a human mind. And the second one, the bear, is given permission to devour. And the third is given authority to rule. This is not good news. And then Daniel focuses on the fourth beast. The fourth beast he wants us to know is completely unlike the other three beasts. This this beast is different. This beast this beast is much more dangerous. He says that it is terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. And and he's unable to even draw any sort of analogy to any creature that we can imagine. He simply just tells us that this beast has giant teeth, giant iron teeth. And then, like the great red dragon that we read about in Revelation 12, this beast has ten horns, like a, a crown sprouting out of its head. I mean, this is freakish, this is wild. And this beast is more brutal than all the others. He says that this beast devours and breaks to pieces and stamps all that is left over. Destruction is this beast's modus operandi. And then in verse 8, he says this, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes, like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great, meaning boastful things. Now, I don't know. You know I mean, this is, this is just weird. This is like sci-fi. You know, this, is, this is like something like aliens. But imagine if you had never heard of Hollywood's special effects. And this was the dream that you had. And you'd never seen those, those movies that, you know, you stayed up too late to watch. I remember as a kid, staying up, I'd get a friend of mine, and he'd always convince me to stay up really late and watch the bizarre films that, like, started at 12 o'clock. And I'd have these terrible dreams afterwards, but I did it every weekend. Um, you know, imagine you'd not seen any of that kind of stuff in our social media or on the television... If you had a dream like this, you'd be freaked out. And that's exactly what happened to Daniel. In verse 15, he admits, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. He's frightened. He's troubled. He's trembling. This is quite a nightmare. And then the text goes on about an angelic being that comes to Daniel. And then Daniel takes it Advantage of this angelic being with him. And he presses him in verses 19 to 22. He presses him for more information about this, this fourth beast. Here's what we read in verses 23 to 25. Thus he said, the angelic being said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down, And break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time. Times and half a time. Now, if we were to move from Daniel's time to Jesus' time, as they read the book of Daniel, as they read chapter 7 of Daniel, probably most of them would have identified these beasts with particular kingdoms. So, for example, they would have identified the first beast with uh, Babylon, the second beast with Medo-Persia, the third beast with uh, the Greek Empire, and the fourth beast with the Roman Empire. In the time of Jesus, that's the way they would have seen this, the way they would have read this. And they they would have been accurate. That That's true. But there's also a sense, as we look at the way Daniel 7 communicates its vision, as well as we see the way that later Scripture... Plays upon some of these themes in Daniel seven. We see that there, it goes beyond these four particular kingdoms that I just named. the The emphasis on the ten horns, and particularly that little horn, this blasphemous little horn, uh, goes beyond just identifying those particular kingdoms. In fact, one Old Testament scholar puts it. He says the emphasis quote is on their nature as the incarnation of all that is wicked about rulers who oppose God. There's more of a universal lesson here. There's more of a lesson for us to learn from this text about the way that history is going to play out from the time of Daniel down to the end of the age. It's not just ancient history we're looking at. This speaks to us in our world today. Ian Duguid, an Old Testament scholar, summarizes the message of verses 1 to 8 when he says, The vision declares that our world is being run by a succession of fearsome monsters that will go from bad to worse, each one more frightening than the one before. The New Testament speaks of this reality in in a lot of different ways. Paul says that we... We wrestle with powers and principalities that, that are working in this present darkness, this present evil age. Um, John says that the spirit of Antichrist is at work right now in the world. And Peter, in 1 Peter, calls us to be sober-minded and to be watchful. Because, he says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So what lessons can we learn as we look at these beasts, these apocalyptic beasts that have come out of the the sea, that threaten to devour and crush and torment? What can we learn? Well, I have a couple of lessons. First of all, let me say this. Um, The lesson of Daniel 7 is not, that's in bold capital letters, is not teaching us that everything in the past 2,500 years of human history is only evil continually. That's not what Daniel 7 is teaching us. It's not just sort of Only the beasts moving here and there throughout human history and ripping people apart. Experience teaches us that. But one of the reasons why we cannot look at human history in such stark or Manichaean terms is because that would be a refusal to believe in the common grace of God. I don't have time to develop it this morning, but the common grace of God, this is this grace that God pours out upon all people, everywhere, all the time. And it would be a denial of that common grace if we were to take Daniel 7 and the imagery of these terrible beasts and just say that's what all of human history is like. It's not true. See, the thing is, apocalyptic literature doesn't tend to be super nuanced. Apocalyptic literature is often just very black and white. Apocalyptic literature gives us sharp contrast between good and evil. That's that's what apocalyptic does. It it, it takes care, it, it blows away all the gray, the shades of gray, and it, and it, kind of sets things in that stark contrast. That's what its job is. But let me say this. Apocalyptic literature, the apocalyptic perspective, is not the only perspective that we have in the Bible. For example, in Romans 13, verse 4, the Apostle Paul says this. He says that a ruler, quote, is God's servant for our good. Now, He doesn't say, don't trust anybody because they're all just beasts that want to kill you. No, he says, a ruler is God's servant for our good. That's why we should submit to them, because they're given by God. There's no authority in the world that doesn't come from God, Paul says. And this is an evidence of God's common grace to us all. We might put it this way, the beasts of Daniel 7 are on a leash. God restrains the evil that they do. They can't do more in this world than he allows. And and thank God that God is always restraining evil in this fallen world. Therefore, we should be thankful for good government. Christians should be people who are thankful for good government and pray for those who are in authority. We should be thankful every day for the many benefits and the many blessings that we enjoy every day because of stable government and good laws. Without stable government and good laws, all that we enjoy every day is, poof, it's gone. Anarchy, folks. We ought to be a very thankful people that God has restrained the, the leash on the beast However, having said all that, however, at the same time, we do need to listen to Daniel 7. We do need to learn what it has to teach us. And it is saying that there are powerful beasts at work in the world. In a sense, what Daniel is saying to us here in 21st century Vancouver is don't be hoodwinked behind the curtain of all of the prosperity and peace, there's often something much less benign lurking there. See, Christians, more than anyone, should understand this this obvious truth that nothing is the way it seems. Appearances can be deceiving. Those are platitudes, but but we should know that we should we should see that as we listen to the nightly news or whatever your your news feed tells you and and we we need to know this from Daniel 7 governments are not nearly as benevolent as they advertise for example recently um, the countries of Iceland and Denmark announced that down syndrome is pretty much eradicated from those particular countries. Now, in that announcement, they neglected to, to make the point that the reason why they can say that is because all the children who have been diagnosed with that syndrome have been aborted. See, that's the beast at work. The headline says one thing, but really something else is happening in the background. There's lots of biblical passages in addition to Daniel 7 that should lead us as Christians to not be naive. To not be naive about human history and to not be so gullible as to believe that some new political leader, some new government project, some new social program will be the solution for all the problems that we face. Because our problems are much deeper than any politician or policy is ever going to address. As Blaise Pascal once said, the heart of the human problem is the problem with the human heart. And government can do nothing about our hearts. Political leaders can only stir our hearts in the wrong direction. They can't give us a new heart. There's only one person who can really do anything about the problems that we face. About the root of the problems that this world faces. That's Jesus Christ. Here's the point. Here's the truth. We will will never live in a world of true justice. While people ignore or resist the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Please hear me on this. Please, we will never live in a world of true justice. While our world ignores and our leaders resist and even renounce the lordship of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Well, that moves me to my second point the verdict. After describing this vision of beasts that freaked him out, Daniel saw something completely different in verses 9 and 10. Here's what he says, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. That's not an endorsement of snow, for those of you that know me. And the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. What can we learn from this? Daniel has this other, dramatically different vision. What can we learn? Well, here's the way I would put it. Um, Whenever we're tempted to believe that the world is going to hell in a handbasket, as my dad used to put it, we need to know this. We need to believe this. Daniel 7, verses 9 and 10 teach us that God is on the throne. The world is not going to hell in a handbasket. Despite appearances, human history is not careening out of control. Sometimes Christians, we we freak out that that things aren't going the way we wish they were. We get anxious, we get worried, we get beside ourselves, we, we start freaking out. Look to Daniel 7 verses 9 and 10. God is not freaking out. He's not pacing back and forth in the throne room you know, wringing his hands and, and, and looking for the hotline to some higher authority. God is on His throne. God rules and God reigns over all things. Ephesians 1 says that He is working all things according to the counsel of His will. Rest in that. Trust in that. Press into that. I know. I read the headlines too. And if you only read the headlines and you ignore this, you're going to be anxious. You're going to be scared. You're going to be fearful. This is the answer. Look up. Look to the throne room of God. Look to the one who is seated there. Daniel identifies God as the Ancient of Days. I love that title for God. He is the Eternal One. There's never been a time when God didn't exist. He has been dwelling. He has been existing. He has been there from before the beginning. And he will go on. There is no end. He is in the place of ultimate authority. He is seated on the throne. The clothing and the hair makes me think of uh, uh, the Sistine Chapel. I'm, I'm sure this is where he got it from. God is not an old guy with long flowing white hair the hair and and the clothes they represent God's purity and God's wisdom and then there's all the fireworks these flames and these wheels that's that's a reminder that God is judge God is just and God will be just by rendering judgment last week we spoke about The wrath of God, the judgment of God, an uncomfortable subject to be sure, but one that we best not ignore. What a glorious vision of God and seated in his throne room. There's this host of heaven. Daniel is, is, I don't know, maybe he's not very good at math. But he's just piling up the numbers as if there's this this innumerable crowd, much larger than the people that came out for the inauguration of Donald Trump. You guys are hard to, this morning. There's this massive crowd. Just can't even be numbered. And they, they sit and they are silent as the books are opened. Here's something we need to know. God is the one to whom you and I and everyone else will have to give an account one day. God is the judge. He judges the very thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And here as the books are open, he is preparing to execute judgment upon the beast. Look at verses 11 and 12. Here's what we read. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. He's boasting. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. So after destroying the, the fourth beast, God removes this dominion, the authority, the kingdoms from these other beasts, but he prolongs their lives. Here's what we can learn from this Beastly. Rule is terrible but it's temporary God will take it away from them all when he is good and ready it's temporary and then finally Daniel looks again to the throne room in verses 13 and 14 we read I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man There's one. There's one, only one who's like the son of man. Only one this this human being who comes not from the sea, not from below, but he comes from above. He comes on the clouds. It's a very unique person. It's one like a son of man, but more like God. God comes on the clouds. And He alone stands before the Ancient of Days. He is presented before the Ancient of Days. Who can stand in the very presence of God? This man can. The Son of Man can. He's completely unlike the beasts. Doesn't come blaspheming and boasting he comes quietly he receives the kingdom as a gift he doesn't he doesn't destroy others in in order to try and get and preserve his power god gives him the kingdom because he alone is worthy he alone is worthy Unlike those temporary kingdoms that the beasts have for a time, Daniel says that his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. It will never pass away. It cannot be destroyed. The kingdom of God is one of the most important themes. It might be the theme of the whole Bible. And if you're in Christ this morning, if your hope is in Christ, you are a citizen of this kingdom. We'll look at that in a second. Now at this point in time, what we need to know is that this isn't just Daniel's vision, this is Jesus' vision because in the Gospels as we read them, the most jesus most his favorite self designation was to call himself the Son of man. Hearkening back to Daniel's vision here in chapter 7. In fact, one of the great scenes in the Gospels, the night that Jesus was betrayed and then brought before the high priest, the high priest interrogated him and demanded of Jesus, he says, are you the Messiah, the Son of God? And in Matthew 26:64, here's how Jesus replied. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And with that, the high priest tore his clothes, charged Jesus with blasphemy, sentence him to death and send him away to be crucified see instead of establishing his kingdom by the blood of others jesus establishes his kingdom by shedding his own blood instead of killing jesus is killed that's how His kingdom comes. See, Jesus is the true man who is fully God. And through His life and His death and his resurrection, Jesus is reconciling people to Himself for God. Where our sins are forgiven. Where we are adopted into God's family. We are made citizens of God's kingdom. Jesus is the later, greater Adam. Our, the first Adam failed through his rebellion against God. Jesus is the, the later, greater Adam. The head of a new humanity. In Him, there's, there's hope. In Him, He's the only hope. That brings me to my fourth point. Or my third point, the kingdom. Here's something I need to stress this morning. None of us None of us, by nature, are citizens of this kingdom. None of us have a right to this kingdom. Only Jesus can give us that right and bring us in and make us citizens of this kingdom. The Bible teaches that by nature we're children of wrath under God's judgment. Ephesians 2 says of us by nature that we're dead in our transgressions and sins. Colossians 1 says that we are in bondage to the domain of darkness. See, by nature, we're on the side of the beasts. By nature, we follow their lead. We live under their rule. Only Jesus sets us free. That's why he came into the world. I love the scene. My favorite chapter in the Bible is Revelation 5 and in verses 9 and 10 this is what we read of Jesus he's presented in the throne room again and the, the, the myriads the thousands upon thousands are there and they sing a new song and here's the song they sing worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them that's us You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This morning, as you leave the gathering, I want you to know, if your hope is in Christ, you're a part of God's kingdom, this everlasting kingdom that cannot be destroyed, will never pass away. That's what that's what Daniel 7:27 says. I don't think it's up on the slide, but here it is. Daniel 7:27. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the peoples of the saints of the most high. His kingdom, that is the son of man. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominion shall serve and worship him. Christ city our mission our mission is to declare and demonstrate the power and the presence of this kingdom that's our calling that's our identity we are people of the kingdom called to live out our new humanity in Christ before the eyes of our neighbors and our co-workers and the people we go to school with and the people we see at the coffee shop every day we are a foretaste of the coming kingdom that Jesus will bring into its fullness at his return this is the way things play out this is the way it ends Jesus will return and we're called to be watchful We're called to not be distracted by the world, but to set our focus on the King, to anticipate His coming. Because He's not coming to die for sin. He's coming to destroy it. He's coming to judge it. He's coming to deal with it once and for all. And only those whose sin has already been judged in His crucifixion and death can call themselves citizens of His kingdom. Can call themselves children of God. And we can't earn that status. As we sang this morning, it's a gift. It's a gift that only He gives us the right to receive. How do we receive it? Well, when Jesus came into the world announcing the kingdom, He said something very simple. He said, Repent and believe the gospel. Turn from your sin and believe this good news about God reconciling people to Himself through faith in His Son. It's that simple. I want to call you this morning. I want to ask you this morning. Do you know that you're a citizen of God's kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ? Because if not, I would say to you what he said. Repent. Turn away. Things are not the way they seem. There are are, are beasts ruling over your life. Repent. Turn away. Come to Come to Christ. Look to Him. Trust in Him. The one who died for our sins. The one who reconciled us to God. The one who rose again. The one who has a kingdom that will never pass away or be destroyed. One other thing I want to say this morning is that we need to elevate our view of the church. We are a people of God's kingdom. If people are going to see the kingdom come On earth as it is in heaven, it's going to come through us, as staggering as that may seem. We are His people here on earth to do His will, to live in a way that He is glorified. That's our calling. We're called to proclaim and to demonstrate the presence and the power of God's kingdom through our lives and through our lips. So this morning as I close let me encourage you to stir up your heart look to the son of man take your eyes off the headlines and all the chaos in this world look to the son of man and find your peace there as stand please as we respond to God's word
0: thanks for listening for more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver please visit christcitychurch.ca